We're doing a little time travelling this week into tennis's past, present and future. Welcome to the first in a series of ATP podcast specials with me, Chris Bowers, focusing on various aspects of the game. To kick things off, we're going to look at how tennis was played and viewed 20 to 30 years ago, how it is currently and how we think it might shape up in the future. And to help us do that, I've been joined by some of the greatest tennis minds on the circuit. Shortly, we'll hear from Roger Federer's former coach Ivan Lubacic and top tenor and Grand Slam doubles champion Radek Stepanek, who, after spending time coaching Novak Djokovic and Grigor Dimitrov, can now be found helping the young American Sebastian Korda. But we start with Tommy Paul's current coach, Brad Stein, who in the early 90s, alongside Jose Higueras, helped Jim Courier win four Grand Slam singles titles and reach world number one. I started by asking Stein, having operated at the very top level for the past 30 years, what's changed in tennis in terms of how players are and how they play? The framing of your question is interesting because at the end you said how players are and how players play. I mean, to me, the biggest change from that time period is more about the racket technology. Racket technology has, has changed so much. I'm not sure necessarily for the better in some ways. So, you know, the, the game nowadays is, is so big because you have all these guys that start out now, this generation of player that, that's coming on the tour have been growing up with these rackets and the string technology that they use. And I think they start from a very, very young age taking very aggressive swings at balls and they learned uh, to control those and manage those and so we've seen the the level of power and and uh, the lack of finesse to some degree that's developed within the game do you think that the technological advances have been helpful or do you think we're getting to a point where there has to be some kind of intervention whether it's on strings whether it's on frame materials whether it's frame size in order to keep them the sport watchable yeah you're you're reading my mind actually because uh, i'm a proponent of the fact that um i think rackets should be uniform in size uh players are allowed to use longer rackets now than they used to be um so that that creates uh different different opportunities i mean the basic physics of having a longer lever in your hand creates more power um racket head size has gotten bigger because the materials have have gotten lighter and so with a lighter material you can actually create a bigger head and still maintain uh, the stiffness and the control within the racket. Um, I think the racket head size should be limited um, and and then string technology you know the the, the poly string has really changed how, how guys are able to swing at the ball. You combine all of those and, and you have a game that's become much more linear uh, a lot more hitting through the court, a lot more balls that pass out the baseline rather than the sidelines. You know, the biggest the biggest negative, in my opinion, would be that there's there's just become a, like I said, a lack of finesse, a lack of nuance within the game. Uh, a lot more guys that, that I would describe as being kind of bashers of the ball um, without really without really playing with a lot of nuance within the within the game. When we come to sell the sport of tennis, is this a disadvantage or is this just a development? Um, I, I, you know, I think that people, young people especially, that enjoy the game and that play the game on their own, you know, at a lower level, they're playing with those same rackets and with that same technology. So they have a feeling and an understanding of it. So 
It's not necessarily a, an extreme negative. I think it is a bit of a negative in, in how tennis is produced. That being said, the guys playing nowadays, um, are they better athletes? You know, I'm not sure. We had great athletes back in the 90s. You had great athletes in the earlier periods, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. The game was just slower. You didn't see the athleticism maybe quite as much. You know, the, the pace of the game now requires a degree of movement that you didn't have back in those days. And, and that creates excitement. That definitely creates excitement. Now, there's one to discuss in the tennis club bar. We tend to think the big changes in tennis in recent years are down to racket and string technology. Yet here's a top-level, highly experienced coach saying it's the movement that has really taken off in this era. We'll hear more from Brad Stein a little later. When it comes to pace, the serve, in particular the speed of serve, has always been a big factor. But how big? Ivan Lubicic peaked as a player in the mid-2000s before coaching Roger Federer for seven years. And he's now helping the best French youngsters make the transition from juniors to the full tour. He has a unique take on that particular aspect of the game. What I saw, I, mean, I think the, the, the one part that it's the most, the biggest difference, I feel, is the serve. This is one shot that I feel that it has deteriorated over the years. Uh, and my explanations to that is that um, when I was growing up, the, the players who dominated or the most popular players were, you know, Sampras, Ivanisevic, uh, Krajicek, uh, uh, all the big servers, right? So we growing up for us was normal to uh, to serve big. It was it was a shot that was supposed to be developed because it's integral part of the game, and this is something that is extremely important. Now I feel like that has changed completely. And in fact, in top, I would say maybe 20, 30, I mean, really, Hubert Hurkacz is the only one that I can really say has a huge serve. But uh, after that, really, everybody else is just, you know, serving okay. And I think that's mainly because Djokovic and Nadal, even Roger dominated the game last 20 years. And, you know, their game, it's not about the serve. Of course, they all serve really well. But it's not something that you would say it's their best shot or it's something that they are famous for. And 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 this I see the more I look at the young players also now in my, my new uh, activity and my new job and my new role. I'm looking at the kids 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 and serve is so unimportant to them that it's scary. So I think this is something that I feel like, of course, you know, the, the game itself progressed physically, progressed uh, uh, tactically, even technically, you know, but but the serve is one shot that I think it lost its value dramatically. That's very interesting because I think most people would say the overall serving level has gone up. Is it possible you're just thinking relatively among the top players? Well, I, I mean, of course, I mean, it's, it's, it's out for, for debate, you know, what is what is serving big, you know, for me, serving big meaning, you know, winning two or three points per game only with a serve, right? It's not just to set up the point and then, you know, kind of uh, lead the rally. Um, and and so, yes, I think that the general speed of the serve probably went up because the, the players are physically stronger now and the technology with the string, especially, it's helping the players to hit harder and still have control. But, um, you know, if we talk about accuracy, if we talk about uh, actually use of serve, I, 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 I'm really, really firm that even number of aces, if you look, you know, it went down 
dramatically. And, and, and this is something, yes, of course, we can talk about surfaces being slower, the balls being softer, all of that. But I still struggle to see somebody who can win, you know, three, four, five games a set just with the serve. And this was relatively normal back in the days. So do you think that's improved the watchability of tennis? Well, I don't know. I mean, for me, the, the, it's, it's something that it's obviously always has always been controversial. But for me to see super interesting match, I need contrast of styles. I need one player who attacks and the other one who defends or one to, who, who, you know, comes to the net. The other one is passing, you know, to see two players playing the same way. For me, it's boring, you know, and it can be Isner Karlovic match or it can be, uh, you know, Djokovic, Gilles Simon. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just something that, you know, when you see point after point played, played in the exact same way, you know, I think it brings down the, 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 uh, how to say the attractiveness of the of the match you know that's why you know Alcaraz it's something refreshing and it's fantastic to watch because you just never know what's going to happen Nick Kyrgios uh, Alexander Bublik I mean Roger himself of course you just don't know what's going to happen and this is what makes these players I feel extremely interesting wow so the serve isn't as big as it was at least in Ivan Lubitsch's view so if it's a variety of styles that makes the game interesting, how does Lubitsch feel that aspect of the game has changed over the years? And is there a danger that power has taken over from panache? If you look at the players who are dominating the sport today, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and I'm talking about Novak especially, you know, he's somebody who is extremely solid, who doesn't miss, who, who, who moves well. And, and, and it's, it's, of course, it's an idol for many, 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 many players. So... Um, there is a danger of that, but I still believe that, you know, our sport, it's, it's too complex that we're going to end up having the same kind of players um, in the future. So um, I, I think our sport will keep evolving. So if we end up in a moment where we have 10 best liners in a ten, ten, top 10 players, that that somebody new who's going to come and do something different will... will, will um, will surprise them and then will make his way through, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. I, I think our, our sport will keep evolving and, and always will, will be interesting. Will we still see in the future a drop shot return of serve, a player using delicate angles, maybe the one-handed backhand? I mean, you played with a one-handed backhand. You coached Roger Federer playing with a one-handed backhand. Will that die out? Will, will things die out as people look to just snuff out every advantage that their opponents have? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I think Carlos Alcaraz is a perfect example where, you know, um, you if you do well, even the drop shots, if you if it's well executed, it's extremely interesting and powerful shot. So um, one-handed backhand, it's, it's an interesting topic. I think less and less people use it, but I still believe that it's 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 better better backhand than the two-hander once once the rally goes goes through. Uh, of course, it's 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 a big um, disadvantage on the return, but I think uh, you know I think we will always have one-handed backhand. I I hope right. That's my wish because it's it's a beautiful shot, and it's something that that needs to be preserved. But we cannot force force players to pair, play one-handed. But you know, coming back to your original question, I think we will always see creative players i will see we will always see the players who are uh disrupting the, the 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 flow of the match the rhythm of the players you know so those we will they they will always find a place in in the tennis world i i i think 
uh, and and uh, even moving forward, of course, maybe less than 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 what it was in the nineties and so. But I think we will always have a place for those. Just on the backhand, uh, do you see a situation where players have three backhands? They have a single-handed slice, they have a two-hander for maybe the return of serve and the, the backhand off the body, and they have a single-hander for when they're driven wide or when they just want to inject some pace and they have time to set for it? No, I don't think so. I mean, we don't have time for that game. It's getting faster and faster, so uh, it needs to simplify, not makes it make it more complicated. And this is something that... If we can make same argument, we we see some kids sometimes they play two forehands, right? The left ear and right ear they can play. I mean, we've seen that a lot, but they cannot really break through the pros because you just don't have time to do that. And I think that's similar uh, for for three backhands that you just talked about. In terms of the players, they're obviously extremely fit. Do you think we reach a point where? players just can't get any fitter or is there always some advantage that the next generation can gain? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think you can always get a little bit fitter, but I, I don't think tennis is decided by the physical ability of, of the players. I still believe, strongly believe that tennis is especially technical and mental sport. Of course, that if you're if you're physically super fit, that it helps. But if you're mentally weak or if you have a big technical problem, you know, your your movement on the court will not help you much. So, um, yes, I think, you know, everything will keep improving, but I think the major changes are behind us. I don't think, you know, I think it was probably 80s. Bjorn Borg most of, maybe was the first one who was extremely fit. And then everything that came after him, I think, was, was a big, big, big change. But now we will talk about, you know, small... Uh, differences or small uh, improvements. I don't think we will see major, major improvements in that in that regard. Ivan Lubicic highlighting a point there that so often gets lost. Tennis isn't like the triathlon sports and track and field disciplines, where about 95% is based on fitness and strength. There are so many aspects of tennis that have nothing to do with fitness, like technique, mental strength, dealing with the weather, and often simply how your opponent lets you play. But when it comes to physicality, how widely shared is Lubicic's view? Let's hear again from Brad Stein. I mean, if you look at the top guys in the game right now, from Novak and uh, Daniel Medvedev, Sinner, um, Carlos is a little bit different, but he's still in there. They're, they're all quite lean. Probably the word lanky might, uh, might apply to them. Um, we think of the players as being being bigger, you know, from the standpoint of height, but I feel like the players are leaner now than they used to be. I think Novak's kind of like led that charge a little bit, you know, players have seen what he's done with his diet and and uh, how that's translated to his movement on the court and those kind of things, and I think more players are, are applying that. I think in the 90s there was a little bit more of a push to get into the gym and, and actually lift weights and, and develop a little bit more muscle and strength. I think there is still that aspect, but it's more real-world strength than it is gym strength, pushing weights and those kind of things. A lot more, uh, a lot more specific training nowadays. So that translates to, to guys that are going to be that much better probably in, in how they produce their tennis. Stein's observation will come as a relief to many players who love playing tennis but aren't great fans of gym work. The Czech player Radek Stepanek had the privilege of working with Novak Djokovic as coach in 2017 and saw at first hand how the Serb pushed the boundaries of physicality to the limit. Look at uh, Novak. I mean, he's, uh, he's pushing his physicality, you know, with, uh, with every year, basically. 
you know, everybody was expecting uh, that the young guy is going to take him uh, to the physical limit. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, I don't know even how old is he, 20, 36? Yes. And look at this, he's, uh, he's uh, putting them on the edge. So, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a way, I don't believe only that, uh, you know, they are physically prepared. That's uh, all the discipline you have, all the right things you eat, uh, rest, uh, recover. I mean, that's all the parts, all the mosaic that the player had to have, you know, all in the right uh, places in order to, to perform, to perform in, uh, at highest level. And today you see that when the best players in the world are playing, every match is very, very close, tiny. Uh, f- few points are deciding. Uh, the, uh, there's a very thin line between success and uh, uh, winning and losing. So that's, uh, that's very exciting. Throughout my 20-year career, I had to adjust a few times to the uh, trends that uh, the game is moving forward every uh, every day. You know, everybody's getting better. The the level of uh, you know uh, physicality, the 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 level of equipment, uh, you know, uh, different uh, different speeds of balls that uh, they are using now. You know, players are playing with four different balls uh, every week. Uh, which obviously we're seeing a lot of guys, uh, you know, with uh, with injured arms, elbows, uh, wrists, uh, and stuff like that. So we didn't have that many during our time. Uh, I believe we played uh, with better balls and uh, a little bit of a different tennis. Uh, I believe we've been coming uh, more to net. We've been uh, a bit more creative than uh, these days. Uh, guys are playing uh, 40, 50 shot rallies. Uh, you know. Uh, like uh, they're brushing their teeth in the morning. So the tennis got very, very physical uh, compared to our time. And, uh, you know, uh, the the demand on them uh, being physically ready, you just, uh, I feel like that uh, players today, if they are not ready, just a little bit uh, is bothering them. Uh, something with uh, with their body it's very difficult for them to uh, you know to to push through and uh, because the other guys are just 100% ready and uh, they're not able to uh, to cope with uh, that physicality that uh, the other players which are healthy are bringing in so how do we go about tackling the fact that play that today's tennis is very physical i mean can we bring back and in, can we make incentives for people to serve and volley a little bit more? Can we find ways of making the points shorter but more interesting? What what can we do? Uh, you know, there is one more thing which I forgot to say. Uh, during our time, you know, there were, uh, I would say, a lot of players, uh, you know, who had uh, who had a weakness in their game, and that weakness was, uh, you know, so significant that uh, you've been able to. Uh, penetrate that weakness basically all match long and uh, you knew that you're going to get the result. Today the guys uh, basically they they all know how to return, Uh, they know how to serve big, they know how to uh, you know play big from from the baseline so that's changed, Uh, that's changed, Uh, the players are more I would say complete players but uh, they are not using I would say the finesse as the past generations. And many will agree that the finesse of past generations has got lost a little, though I love Stepanek's reference to 40 or 50 stroke rallies being like brushing your teeth. Could the absence of weakness and the relative decline of finesse be two of the reasons why some tennis federations and academies flourish while others struggle to create a constant stream of top talent? 
For years, France produced some of the greatest players in history, but with the best days of Gael Monfils and Richard Gasquet behind them, Joe Wilfried Songa recently retired, and the grand old days of Lacoste, Cochet and Barotra, now a distant memory, how do the French ensure that past wisdom is carried through to the next generation? That's now a question for Ivan Lubicic, who's a consultant to the French Tennis Federation. Well, we are trying to understand what went what went wrong and and why why is that? So, I mean, it's um, there is no really lack of talent in France. Uh, I can assure you that you know I've I've, I've seen now. Well, I'm in the federation since year um, since uh, the age of 12, 13, 14, 15. You know, there is a lot of kids playing great tennis. Um, there is something that obviously it's it's probably that hasn't been done in the best way from age of 15 to 19. And this is where they lost a little bit their way. My role now today, it's really to find out what it is and try to try to help and change that. Uh, I think I have pretty good idea what that is and I'm, we're going to try to change. Um, but um, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't talk really about crisis or, or like, you know, it's just, it's definitely a moment. Um, but we have to make sure that we are, we, when I talk we, we talk about French Federation now, that we are on top of our game. We have to make sure that we know what we're doing and that we are doing the best thing for the players. And and um, it's very easy that when, when you when you sit back and you do what you do for 5, 10, 15 years and you know, you, you think you know it all, and you get uh, and you get lazy a little bit, you know that you see others passing by. It's it's probably the moment has has arrived where we need to you know look back and see what what has been done, what can we do different, and and maybe probably modernize a little bit the new way of of working. But it's it's a long process, you know. These things you cannot change overnight, as as you can imagine. So, um, but I'm confident, you know. I don't think we 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 need to worry about about that. What a massive stroke of luck it is for players like Artur Fies, Luca van Asch and other young French talent to have the expertise of Ivan Lubicic at their disposal. One thing the national associations around the world have provided is access to the best equipment and expert knowledge around things like recovery and fitness. And it's filtered down to individual programmes, meaning these days coaches like Brad Stein have far more resources to help their players than when Stein did back in the day coaching Jim Courier. That's another factor that's become a very big aspect of the game. I mean, the, all the top guys for sure, and, and a lot of the guys, you know, even down to the, the guys in the 80s, 90s, and, and even outside of the top 100, especially younger guys, um, are traveling with physios now, and the, the, the physio has become a, a very significant aspect of, of a team. So guys have that opportunity to, to have their bodies worked on and, and keep them in much better shape overall. Jim didn't have that back in the day. We were a two-man team on the road most of the time. You know, I mean, there were a few tournaments, the slams, where Jose came. But um, in general, it was just the two of us, you know. And Jim used the ATP trainers uh, about 99% of the time in his career. Uh, towards the very end, he had a guy that uh, that traveled with him a little bit. and and But other than that, throughout the entirety of his career, he just used the ATP trainers that were provided at the tournaments. Use them for fitness or recovering from injuries? <laughs> for For recovery. All for recovery. He had a strength and conditioning coach that was that was his own that set his program and did all that. But, but as far as on site, uh, post match, uh, pre match warm ups, those kind of things, you just didn't do the degree of warm up that you do nowadays. You know the the guys the guys back then 
um, would go to the trainers to, to get a stretch and loosened up and they would go out to the court and move around for about five to eight minutes and, and uh, swing their arms around and stretch a little bit and start hitting balls. You know, and now we, we arrive generally about an hour before we're going to hit um, and spend, you know, the majority of that time in the, uh, in the gym doing mobility, doing some strength work. Um, there's, a, there's a degree of a maintenance program that's involved in that. Um, you know, and then again, after matches, um, you know, we have a physio that travels with us on our team. And, uh, and, and, so, and so it's, um, you know, he's, he then spends time with Tommy every day after practices, after matches, uh, you know, working on anything that is sore or, or any issues that, you know, may have cropped up in the last few weeks or in that day. Things really have changed in terms of entourages over the past 30 years. At least they have for those who can afford such wide-ranging personnel. You have to be earning a decent amount of prize money or getting good endorsement deals to afford the size of entourage Stein was talking about. So, taking everything into consideration, where will tennis be in five to ten years from now? Let's hear from our three experts again. Radek Stepanek, Ivan Lubicic and first Brad Stein again. Listen, the game right now, which is going to be carried on for the next 10, 12, 15, 18 years, uh, is in very good hands. Very, very good hands. I think that um, people are always worried about generational change, you know, whether it was from McEnroe and Connors onto the next people or, or in, you know, in, in this moment where we are, obviously, with Roger stepping away from the game, Rafa getting to the point where he's going to step away at some point relatively soon, um, Novak again a couple of years down the road whenever he decides that he wants to. You know, we lose the three greatest players in the history of the game. It doesn't change the sport. Um, you go to the Grand Slams, you go to the Masters 1000s events, and the drama and the quality of tennis that's being produced on the courts um, by everybody creates narratives that are exciting for people to watch and follow. And so I think actually that the, the nature of the game and where we're at right now is, is great. It's in the hands of really, really high-quality people with Carlos and Medvedev and Sinner and Tsitsipas. And you go down the list, you know, you've got great stories with Dimitrov, a little bit older player. And, uh, you know, it's so, so I think... I think the game's very healthy overall, you know, and, and, and I think that people, um, our game sometimes I think is too driven by individuals and not enough by the sport itself, the greatness of the sport and, and the matches and, and what's produced by players regardless of where their ranking level is. Um, I think people that are really huge fans of the sport they're the people that go and watch the first week of the slams. They're the people that come and watch the first two rounds of a Masters 1000, whether it's on clay or hardcore or indoors, because they're fans and they want to see they want to see the Martin Fuchovics of the world, um, not just the the guys that are top ten. So, so I, for me personally, I, I'm very hopeful, and I I like to think that the the game and the sport is very healthy right now. You know, the tennis played in 2023, it's not the same like it was in 90s and 2000. You know, I think we need to to see in every single aspect, do we include the data? Do we include the way of working on tennis court? Do we include the way of working in the gym? You know, there is many, many things that that uh, we need to try to try to just question, right? I'm not saying necessarily change, but just question and, and put, put things in... Uh, 
and look from a little bit from the outside and make sure that we understand what's happening, right? And not just keep repeating uh, the same thing day by day and expecting different results. That's that's not going to happen. I mean, I hope the, the creativity uh, will be there, uh, the, the emotions will be there, the rivalry will be there, and, you know, how tennis will look. I mean, uh, I had uh, ideas when I played where it's going to be in five years and it was completely different than I thought it's going to be. So uh, How? What did, what did you imagine that was then different? I mean, I had to I had to cope, you know, I was getting older and I had to cope with, uh, you know, with uh, everything I mentioned. You know, who knows where rackets will be in uh, in 10 years? Who knows where balls will be in 10 years? What surface uh, they're going to play? So th- this is uh, what format they're going to play. Is it going to be still uh, best of three and best of five? I hope it will be, uh, because that's tennis. But uh, you know, I don't know what's going to be in 10, 15 years. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and perhaps that's the point. One of the beautiful things about this game is its unpredictability. Trends will change, brackets will alter, players will bulk up, and then slim down. To me, as someone who's been associated with this sport as long as Brad Stein has, it was something Ivan Lubitsch said early in this podcast that really rings true, that we need contrasts in styles, whether it's the serve volleyer against the groundstroke guru, the brutal blasting of the baseliner against the variety of the all-quarter, the slice as an attacking weapon, the drop shot out of nowhere, the odd tweener. That's why players like Lorenzo Mazzetti, Sebastian Corder, Denis Shapovalov, even Nick Kyrgios are crucial to the game because they offer that contrast to the typical tennis academy player. But the fact that these players exist, even with fluctuating fortunes, suggests that despite all the technological advances, tennis still does offer the entertainment it relies on to keep up its public profile. In fact, we may be spending too much time worrying what could be when the sport we have is great in its current form and is as likely to produce amazing matches as at any era in this sport which turns 150 next year. My thanks to Radek Stepanek, Brad Stein and Ivan Lubicic for their contributions. Next week, we'll take a look at how tennis, the product, is being marketed. We'll look at the sport as entertainment and try to understand whether formats and rules need to be tweaked and what else could be introduced to maintain the game's relevance amid competition from other entertainment platforms. I'm Chris Bowers. This has been an ATP podcast special. Thanks for listening and enjoy whatever tennis you can find at this time of year.